0: Is a nine-part sermon series on the Ten Commandments. Wait, nine parts, Ten Commandments? What? Woe unto thee, O Israel! You have sinned a great sin in the sight of God! You are not worthy to receive these Ten Commandments! We will not live by your commandments, we are free! There is no freedom without the law! Did you carve those tablets to become a prince over us? Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. We wanted to find out whether people in our area could name all Ten Commandments. So we sent our lead pastors out into the community to get the answer. Do you know who Moses is? Yes, I think, but I'm not sure that I'm going to answer the next question correctly. So, um... When he came off the mountain with commandments, how many commandments there were there? 10. Can you name any of the 10 commandments? Mm, I don't know if I can say it correctly, but like respect your neighbor or honor your neighbor or something like that. Good, good. You want to try for another one? No. <laughs> it's my favorite. Uh, it's my favorite of the, of the Old Testament story. So I, I you know, it's a, I think it's the the greatest story, but now I'm I'm picturing Charlton Heston, too. (laughs) Did did you ever see that movie? Yes. Yeah. What was the title of that movie? Uh, Was it The Ten Commandments? Dang, yes. You got (laughs) that right. (laughs) Well, welcome to worship today. At a golf club in Stuttgart, Germany, four men walked up to an elevated green, and the first man thought that he had uh, hit his ball too far, and he was looking for it and uh, just couldn't find it anywhere. He didn't see it in the rough, he didn't see it on the very steep backside of the green, and as his buddies were looking in the high weeds beyond the green, he cleverly reached into his pocket, pulled out another golf ball, and kind of dropped it on the fringe. And then he said to them, oh, here it is, here it is. I found it, guys. And in just a few minutes, when they were ready to putt out, uh, they pulled the pin out of the hole, and there was the original golf ball. The man had actually gotten a hole in one, but his lie had ruined the accomplishment. This story reported on ABC News said that that man was dismissed from the golf club even though he was the president of it. Because golf is a sport of honor and lying is not tolerated. But you know, we live in a culture where in all kinds of ways, lying and shading the truth Is not only tolerated, but coming to be expected. Uh, Business people lie in order to make a deal. Politicians rise in order to lie, in order to raise their ratings and get some more votes. Journalists lie in order to sell their story and make it more interesting. People even lie in church. Oh, we don't call it a lie, we call it our spin or our version of the story but we're not really telling the truth. In their book, The Day America Told the Truth, the authors of that amazing book, which was based on a huge survey of the American people, the authors, Patterson and Kim, reported that 91% of Americans lie regularly, 91%. The other 9% are liars, right? Ninety-one percent lie regularly. Now, here's the most disturbing part of their research. They discovered that two out of every three who lie think there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. But behind this backdrop, behind this reality where lying has become a part of The American culture stands this simple commandment from the Bible. Exodus chapter 20 verse 16 simply says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, that's not just talking about perjury in a courtroom, although we'll mention that later. That's talking about any kind of deliberate deception. God wants us to be people of transparency and honesty. He wants us to be people of character. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit today. Now perhaps you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, look, pastor, I live in the real world. We're just talking about words here. I mean, I don't get it. What's the big deal? So let's go there. Let's ask that question, what is so wrong about lying? Well, I want to mention two very important reasons that this is a genuine problem and that God told us not to do this. The first reason is because it's so contrary to the nature of God, and I certainly invite you to jump in here, take some notes on your note sheet on the back of your program if you'd like to do that if it helps you to learn a little bit. It's contrary to the nature of God. Now if you've grown up in a church, you probably have heard somebody say along the way, uh, we were made in the image of God, right? You've heard that. The Imago day. We are the image bearers of God. But what I want you to understand, yes, that is true, but all of our ethical behavior This is critical, especially in a series like we're in now, What Does God Expect From Me? All of our ethical behavior actually flows from and is rooted in the very character of God. Let me give you examples. For instance, we're to worship God and serve him only because he is uniquely holy, and that demands... A sort of unique allegiance. Uh, We're to put aside one day in seven and honor the Sabbath principle because that's the pattern that God set in creation. It comes right out of His own character and behavior. Uh, We're to not murder people and to really respect life because God is the author and the giver of life and He made it sacred. Uh, We're to be faithful to our mate in marriage because God is always faithful. In other words, it, it just comes right out of his character, and the more faithful we are, the more we're reflecting the true image of God. We're not to steal, because God's the owner of everything. In heaven and earth, it's all his, and he's made us kind of owners slash managers of things, and we're to respect the right to have private property And then the commandment we come to today about lying, we're not to lie, we're to be truth-tellers because God is always truthful. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And God is always truthful. This is an interesting verse in the book of Numbers, chapter 23, it says, God's not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should uh, change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And the answer to those rhetorical questions is obviously not. God doesn't promise something and then not deliver on it. So when we do that, when we lie and deceive, we're we're acting contrary to the nature of God. Another reason I would mention is that it hurts so many people. I know we often think of lying as not really hurting anybody, but, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. It really does hurt a lot of people. When Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of attempting rape, when he refused her sexual advances, Joseph not only lost his position, his job, he was thrown in prison for two miserable years. And Potiphar himself lost a marvelous worker. All because of a lie. We do a lot of damage when we lie. We might not even realize it all. That's why Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians in Ephesians chapter four. And he says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body. Paul says, look, let's not kid ourselves. We are connected here. Let's not cop the attitude, I'm not my neighbor's keeper, or or it's not any of my business. Yes, when we're a part of the body of Christ, what we do does affect other people, especially those closest to us. Here's a husband who calls his wife and says, "Honey, i I'm sorry, but I got to work late tonight. Oh, the, the work is just piling up. You understand. I, I'll be home. I'll see you later. But instead of working, he goes to the casino because he has a growing gambling problem. It's become an addiction, and he spends hours there. And when his wife finally finds out about the deception, she is understandably devastated Because that security, that trust that's a part of a healthy marital relationship has been shattered and it takes months, perhaps even years, to rebuild it. Jeremiah the prophet in the Old Testament looked around at his own culture, very much like ours. A lot of the problems we have, and he lamented, he said, friend deceives friend, and no one speaks the truth. They've taught their tongues to lie. They weary themselves with sinning. You see, we hurt people when we lie. Here's a man who's going to build a house. And he decides that instead of hiring a general contractor, he's going to be his own contractor because he knows a bunch of people in the various trades. And so he starts lining them up. He puts the pl- he calls plumber, he knows. He-, he calls a roofer. He calls somebody who does siding. He begins to line all these people up. And, you know, it all has to happen with careful clockwork, right? in order to save money and not have undue pressure and frustration, and he calls the concrete man who's gonna come and pour the concrete, and he says, I'll be there tomorrow. But the man doesn't show, breaks his promise. He calls him up and says, what went on? The guy's got an excuse, he says, but I promise I'll be there next Tuesday. But next Tuesday, comes and goes, and he's a no-show. And because of that, they run into some inclement weather, and there are more delays because of it, And it cost the man thousands of more dollars to finally get this house built all because, all because of one man's lie. If you've been ever caught in the backwash of somebody else's lying, you probably know how bitter the hurt can actually be. Maybe even at times you felt like the psalmist who said in Psalm 12, Help, Lord. Have you ever said that? For the godly are no more. Where's anybody in this world who's faithful anymore? Have you ever ever prayed that or said that? The faithful have vanished from among men. Everyone lies to his neighbor. Their flattering lips speak with deception. There's no doubt about it. We live in a culture where lying has literally become a part of the fabric of who we are. It's just expected. Now with that as a foundation, I want us to consider now, I began to think this week, who are some of the people who lie? Uh, wh- what are some of the ways we lie? Because there are all kinds of nuances to this and when you think about it, it's actually shocking how many ways we actually break this commandment. Now I just want to warn you right now, I'm gonna go over like 10 of them, okay? And we're just gonna touch the, the mountaintop of these. We could stop at each one and spend a lot more time. But uh, if you're like me, just in getting ready for this, I felt guilty, I mean really guilty. So I hope you can join in on my pain tonight. That's what I'm hoping. What I'm really saying is I hope this sermon makes you pretty miserable, all right? Because as we admitted last week, we come in thinking, well, I, I think I've got that one down, and we end up realizing when we go out, wow, God just nailed me again. Over and over again, I see that I'm not really living up to these standards. That's my story. Perhaps it's yours, too. So let's talk about some of the different people who break this commandment. First is the perjurer. Proverbs 19 verse five says, a false witness will not go unpunished and he who pours out lies will not go free. God considers lying to be very wrong, but lying under oath is even worse. So dear friends, when you stand in a courtroom and put your hand on a Bible and raise your other hand and say, I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. I want you to know God takes that very seriously. In fact, down through the ages, there have been many dramatic court scenes where people who plan to lie under oath once they were there, because of the moral gravity of that moment, totally reversed their story and actually told the truth. They couldn't bear the idea of actually, under that solemn oath, actually telling a bold-faced lie. Perjury is definitely a problem. Exodus 23 says, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. One way. People lie is is under oath, perjury. A second way I'd mention is is the self-protector. Abraham did this. He lied, uh, back in the book of Genesis, uh, to the Egyptians. He said his wife was was actually his sister because he was uh, afraid for his own life. He was scared of their passions for her. Joseph's brothers lied to their father. They said that Joseph had been killed by a wild beast, when in reality, they were trying to protect themselves from the wrath of their father, lest he learned that they had actually sold him into slavery. David lied when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He wanted to protect his status and his image. Simon Peter lied in the courtroom. He denied that he even knew who Jesus was because he wanted to protect himself from possible harm or from being arrested or from embarrassment of that association somebody wrote sin has many tools but a lie is the handle that fits them all we lie to self-protect i heard about a politician and they said of this politician if you watched real close you could tell when he was lying and when he was telling the truth here's how it worked when he was stroking his chin like this, which was a habit of his, he was telling the truth. They said, if you looked real close, when he rubbed his ear, he was telling the truth. In fact, when he adjusted his glasses, he was telling the truth. But when he opened his mouth, he was lying. (laughs) Proverbs 10 says, the man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. We lie to protect our privacy. We lie to protect our investments. We lie to protect our time. We lie to protect our image. We lie to protect our ego, but it usually comes back to bite us. A third kind of liar is the cheater. Now, a cheater is one who lies to get an advantage. I think of Jacob in the Old Testament who lied to his blind father Isaac in order to rob his brother Esau of the blessing that was coming to Esau. He was a cheater. Car dealers, if you falsify information about a car, you are guilty of breaking this commandment. Salespeople, if you distort the truth in order to get that sale... You're breaking this commandment. Students, if you put an answer on a paper that does not reflect your true knowledge of that subject and is coming truly from you, you're guilty of breaking this. Is anybody miserable yet? I am. Anybody miserable? Yeah. We realize we we don't really measure up here. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Another person who breaks this commandment is the gossip. Have you ever been hurt by gossip in your life? Somebody started some rumors. You're like, where in the world did that come from? How did they even think to say something like that? And it's just totally untrue, but it goes around and goes around, and, and you end up feeling really hurt by it. One gossip quipped, it's not me who starts all those rumors, it's the people I tell them to, right? The gossip. One man who had gossiped horribly about someone and slandered his character finally repented and went to the man and asked for forgiveness. But the man said, I will forgive you full and free, but I want you to understand something, sir. All these lies you've told about me, you can never get them back. And then he did a strange thing. He gave the man a feather pillow. He said, I want you to cut this open on one end. I want you to go out on this windy day with this blustery wind everywhere. I want you to shake those little feathers in that feather pillow out into the wind. And he did. And wow, there seemed like thousands of them is what it looked like. They went everywhere, all over the community and the countryside as the wind took them God knows where. And then he said to the repentant man, thanks for doing that. But now, could you do one more thing for me? Could you go out and gather up every one of those little feathers, put it back in the pillow? And said, I can't do that. They're gone. I don't know where they are. Same thing happened with all the gossip you spread. You can't go back and undo it now. I just want you to know the damage that's done. Will Carlton wrote in the 1800s, boys flying kites haul in their white-winged birds. You can't do that way when you're flying flying words. Careful with fire? Ah, good advice we know. Careful with words is 10 times doubly so. Thoughts unexpressed may sometimes fall back dead, but God himself can't kill them when they're said. You can't go gather all those feathers back. Jesus put it like this, but I tell you that men will give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. But as you think about it, there are even more ways that we break this commandment and practice lying. How about the insinuator? The insinuator. Do you realize that you can actually lie by stating the truth You just insinuate something else. Let me illustrate. If I say to you, hey, everybody, Pastor Justin Yim is sober today. Well, that's the truth. (laughs) Pastor Justin is sober. But even in saying that, I'm kind of insinuating, hey, it's good. You just happened to catch him on a good day. He's usually wasted, man. You just caught him on a good day today. You see, we find clever ways to insinuate and kind of put people down. Say, well, I I, I hope you can count on him when the chips are down. Uh, Let's just say he likes to live well. I'm just saying, I'd watch my wallet when I was around that guy. And we find ways to insinuate and Put people down. The Pharisees said to Jesus, we're not illegitimate children. We know who our father is. They were insinuating that he was illegitimate. Another way we practice lying is the eager listener. The eager listener is sometimes just as guilty as the gossip or the insinuator. Listen to this interesting verse in Leviticus chapter 5. If a person sins because he does not speak up when he hears a public charge to testify regarding something he has seen or learned about, he will be held responsible. Do you see what that's saying? In other words, if you know the truth and you fail to speak up and set the record straight, you are culpable, you're guilty because you knew the truth and you didn't make it right. I sometimes have church people say to me, Pastor Rex, I don't get it. So many people come to me with gossip. I don't know why they keep coming to me. Well, maybe it's because you're an eager listener. The next time some gossip comes to you with a juicy bit of gossip, listen, and they say to you, hey, it's going to be our little secret. You'll keep this a secret, won't you? Smile and say, you know what? Your secret's going to be just as safe with me as it was with you. They'll think the next time before they gossip. Or even better yet, somebody comes to you and shares some gossip. Why don't you say, well that's a matter of real importance. Hey, grab them by the arm. Why don't we go right now and go talk to that person? You know what you'll find? There won't be many gossips coming to you after a while because they won't be getting an eager listener. Next is the flatterer. Psalm 55 reads, his speech is smooth as butter yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Have you ever met the person like this? Boy, the receptionist knows the person like this. Salespeople come up to a receptionist, and boy, they're full of flattery. Oh, you look so radiant today. My, that is really your color. Have you discovered the fountain of youth? But what they really want is to meet the boss. And so they're trying to get their foot in the door. The flatterer is a real deceiver. Now, the reason this is so troublesome is that genuine encouragement is something we ought to be doing. It's one of the greatest gifts we can give somebody to genuinely encourage them, but flattery ruins our credibility. Listen, gossip, is saying something behind somebody's back you'd never say to their face. Flattery is saying something to somebody's face you'd never say behind their back. Next is the exaggerator. I read a true story about a man who caught a world record 123-pound catfish, but he couldn't even get the Fish and Game Commission to come and photograph it because they didn't believe him. He couldn't get a magazine, a fishing game magazine, anybody to come out. He said it's 123 pounds. Finally, he called, called them up and said, I caught a 75-pound catfish. They came right out to photograph it and found it was 123 pounds, a world record. But the weird thing is, he had to lie down in order to get them to even take him seriously. That's how reckless our culture has become with exaggeration. Next is the misleader. This is a particular problem in business. A person uh, calls up and says, where's my order? Customer, where's my order? And a person in the business office says, well, that ought to be done by now. Well, it ought to be done, yeah. But they know good and well it's not done. They're just misleading. We find all kinds of clever ways to do this. This has become a problem with those of us who have to give recommendations every now and then for people. Somebody was employed perhaps at a business or an organization and, and they're asking for a recommendation because they're moving on to another place but if you say anything negative you can be sued. It's a very litigious society. If you say, oh, they didn't work much. They were lazy. You might get sued for that. So we find clever ways to get around that. One guy wrote on a recommendation form, when you've known Joe, as long as I've known Joe, I'm confident you'll feel about Joe exactly the way I feel about Joe. (laughs) Another guy had a very clever line. In my opinion, you'll be very fortunate to get this person to work for you. All right, and finally is the promise breaker. Deuteronomy 23 reads, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Listen, integrity is just doing what you say you're gonna do. And so, if you make a promise, whether it's to pay a debt, whether it's to be faithful to a mate, whether it's to be at this place at a certain time, and you have every ability to fulfill that promise, when you break it, we we are guilty of breaking this commandment. Are we all miserable yet? Isn't this horrible? This is, again, a, one of those commandments that we, we just break in all kinds of ways in our everyday lives. But let's turn a final corner now. And I want to ask the question, okay, how can we break the habit? Because if we're being honest, most of us would admit, yeah, we're, we're guilty of this stuff. But the Bible wasn't written to fill our heads with information. It was written to change our lives, God wants us to be different people. So let's turn the corner and let's ask, how can we break the habit? But before we look at four practical suggestions, I wanna go around one little side road as a sort of footnote. Because every time we address this issue, inevitably, inevitably, somebody raises the question, but Pastor Rex, isn't lying sometimes the right thing to do? And so let me speak to that just briefly. The Bible gives two basic scenarios where in scripture, at least, people seem to be doing the right thing when they lied. One of them is when you're involved in protecting innocent life, and the other is when you're involved in a righteous war. Let me illustrate. Rahab in the Old Testament lived in the city of Jericho. The Israeli spies were spying out the land. This was something God had instructed them to do. And when the soldiers came and asked Rahab, are those spies in here? She lied and said they were not. Just a few days later, when the city was overtaken, Rahab was spared. In the New Testament, you see Rahab lifted up as a person of righteousness and a great example of faith. Uh, The other scenario is when you're protecting innocent life. You can read about this in Exodus chapter 1. The Hebrew midwives were commanded by the Egyptian overlords that when these Hebrew women are on the birthing stool, in other words, when they're giving birth, you're supposed to kill the male babies and let the girls live. They were trying to control the population in some way. They were trying to lessen their insecurities about this growing people group. They were instructing them to practice some kind of partial birth abortion here, even in the ancient world. And the Hebrew midwives lied. They said to their overlords when they asked them, why isn't it happening? They said, oh, these uh, Hebrew women are amazing. They give birth before we even get there. And in the next few lines it says, and God blessed the Hebrew midwives. They were protecting innocent life. Now this is a slippery, are you listening? This is a slippery slope indeed. I'm just telling you the illustrations that are in the Bible. Last week. We all watched together a video clip that some would include in this scenario. You remember? We watched the story of the bishop who lied about the silver. Jean Valjean had stolen it. And he said, no, it was my gift to him. He did that to keep Valjean from going back to prison and languishing and dying there. He took an amazing gamble on grace, and God used that to change Jean Valjean's life forever. I'm not recommending lying. All I'm doing is telling you the situations in Scripture where it says if you're protecting an innocent life, and when you're involved in a righteous war, we have illustrations of where people were blessed because of what they did. But you know what? That's not what we're talking about today. Those are incredibly rare situations. I'm talking about our everyday lives in the workaday world, and I wanna give you four suggestions that I'll just leave you with today if you wanna really break the habit of lying. Number one, commit to telling the truth regardless of the anticipated consequences. I read the intriguing story of a career woman who didn't plan to return to work after having her baby. But her company had these four months of benefits and paid leave for pregnancy. However, the paid leave was based on your returning to work afterward, okay? So she was in a bit of a quandary. She didn't really want to return to work. So should she be deceptive? Or should she tell the truth and lose all those benefits that her husband would actually have to pay? Her friend said, everybody does it. Take the benefits. Even an attorney friend told her, well, why don't you just tell them you're coming back and just come back a few days and then say you changed your mind? That was his advice. But she decided that it wasn't right to cheat her employer and commit fraud. Just not a good way to start a family, you know? So she told the truth. She practiced integrity. And I would challenge you to make up your mind that you're going to be a truth teller from your very core. A second suggestion I would make is this. Learn to tell the truth tactfully, tactfully. See, some people hear a message like this and they just kind of go berserk with it. All right, I'm just going to always be honest with everybody and tell the brutal truth. And they end up leaving a path of devastation. I, uh, I, I had a woman walk up to me in the lobby several weeks ago, and she was all excited. Oh, Pastor, we kind of came running up like this. Pastor Rex, Pastor Rex, great to see you again. I didn't recognize her. She said, oh, uh, introduced herself, my husband and I used to worship here like over 12 years ago, she said. Oh, we love this church so much, but she said, with our jobs, we moved out of state, and we're just back visiting some friends in the area. And she looked at me and said, Pastor Rex, you've lost a lot of hair since 12 years ago. (laughs) You know, some people are just like the crabgrass on the lawn of life, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, what she said was true, but she, you know, she didn't have to say it. I, I, like this, I like this verse here. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he or she who holds his tongue is wise. Sometimes you just need to hold your tongue. Let's say you're in a furniture store, and you're with your friend, and she's buying a couch, and she asks you a question. Hey, do you like this couch? And you think it's hideous. What are you going to say? You're probably going to say, well, uh, I I like others better. Or or, you're going to say, well, I don't really like the color or something like that, right? But let's say that she's already bought a couch. And your friend, you're in her home and she asks you, hey, how do you like my new couch? I hope you don't say, it looks like it belongs in a junkyard. Don't say that. I hope you'll come up with some creative way to kind of share what you think. Well, you know what? I, I, can, I, I think it's really you. There's a good one right there. I think it's really you. Third suggestion is go back to the person you lied to and tell them the truth. Dr. David Simmons tells the powerful story of a salesman named Dave who had, was a habitual liar. He just was eaten up with it. He would do anything to get a sale. And so he was meeting with one of his top customers, and his customer asked him, what did my competitor buy? And Dave, even though something in the back of his mind, immediately said, don't do it. He said, your competitor bought the most expensive one. That wasn't true. And so his customer did the same thing. But he was so bothered by this that later that night, Dave's conscience was just eating him up and he, he, he decided what he was gonna do. The next day, he called this customer up and he said, you're probably never gonna buy from me again, but I, 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 just, I just gotta be honest with you, that, that isn't the one that the competitor bought. And that customer was so impressed with his honesty that he stuck with him. He said, I really appreciate a person who's willing to be brutally honest like that. And Dave said about the situation, he said, it killed me to be honest like that and admit I was a liar. It killed me, but it freed me from the habit of lying. And if you dared to be so bold as to Actually do what Dave did. Oh, it might practically kill you. But you know, it might just free you. It might just liberate you from the scourge that has become a sort of pattern perhaps in your life. One final suggestion as we close. I would suggest that you practice integrity in small matters. See, here's what I believe about this. I don't believe that where we usually fall in this is in the huge matters of life, but in the small one. Listen to what Jesus said, our final verse today. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus saying, look, the, the battle is not usually lost with the multi-million dollar deal or with the huge career-changing decision. The battle is usually lost day by day, moment by moment, little things where the moral foundation is getting cracked. So here's my final challenge. You bear the very image of God, brothers and sisters. And the more you reflect his character, the more glory you bring to God. Let's be truth tellers. And let's do it in love. Whether we're talking about a huge career changing decision, a multi-million dollar deal, or whether we're looking for a golf ball in the high weeds, let's reflect the character of Jesus and tell the truth. Father, thank you for this powerful commandment. It has so many nuances and sides to it. Father, I ask that you would continue to teach us by your spirit what living this out would look like in our daily lives. There's so many opportunities we have to shade the truth, to deceive, to insinuate, to mislead, to break a promise. Help us, O oh God, to be people of integrity. Character is what we are when no one is looking. Help us to please you, even in the little things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I'm gonna invite uh, our ushers right now to come and receive our tithes and offerings this evening. Let's continue to worship God as our team leads us.